Welcome to the Hope on the Hard Road podcast, where you and your family can find community, find encouragement, and find hope for the road ahead. Speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you will all be together in this. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Thanks for joining us for the next episode in our future planning series. Today we're covering a tough topic, but one that we knew our listeners would want to hear about. Conservatorship is a complicated topic, so we are incredibly thankful to once again have attorney Elizabeth McCoy here to help us understand it better. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back, Elizabeth. We are so glad uh, to have you back to talk to us today about conservatorship. We know it's a hard subject for many parents, uh, but one the time needs to be considered for, and um, we're so glad you're here to answer the questions for our parents and bring bring the insights you have with all your experience. Thank you. Yes, so let's get started with the basic question of what is conservatorship? So conservatorship is, um, there are two main types of conservatorship, a general conservatorship and a limited conservatorship. Um, In the courts of San Diego, Orange County, Riverside County, uh, and San Bernardino County, where I practice, um, the General conservatorship is only granted to a person for a person who has um, uh, Parkinson's, dementia, Alzheimer's, and things like that. So if you have a child with special needs, you will not be applying for a general conservatorship in in any of those four counties. Uh, You would be applying, on the other hand, for a limited conservatorship. Um, People get a little bit worried about that word limited, but what a limited conservatorship is, is just all the powers in a general conservatorship spelled out. So there are seven main powers, plus there are a few other things the court decides. Um, So a limited conservatorship must be brought if the child who is about to turn 18 or if they're an adult over the age of 18 has a um, special needs. And, um, and the special needs person may or may not be a client of the regional center, but either way, uh, they, the parents would or whoever's petitioning would have to apply for limited conservatorship of their uh, child who may or may not be an adult. Um, it is a process to obtain conservatorship. <laughs> it's about um, a um, six to year, six month to year long process in San Bernardino County. Unfortunately, it can be uh, even longer, a year and a half. You know, uh, just because the way the court um, uh, schedules the hearings and things like that. So um, it's something that uh, you will need um, just as a threshold matter when your child turns eighteen or any time thereafter, if it's appropriate for that child. But one minute after midnight on your child's eighteenth birthday, you lose all legal rights over them. So you are not after on on or after that 18th birthday entitled to go into the IEP meetings, make a decision for them um, at the doctor's office or the pharmacy, or and you're not um, allowed to enter into a contract, sign their name, or do anything else that you did as a parent of a minor child. Um, so minor child is up until the age of 18. 18 years old or older is an adult. And conservatorship may or may not be appropriate for you or child. That's something that parents need to decide on a 
case by case basis because nobody knows your child like you do. But with the help of an attorney, um, you can usually decide, you know, um, yes, we definitely need the conservatorship. We have a child who's severely impacted or, you know, we have a very high functioning child. He's attending college. Maybe we'll just have the powers of attorney or things like that. So it's not that something every child needs. You know, um, but and and really that autism spectrum disorder uh, spectrum is where you find uh, persons who don't necessarily need it. But but with other uh, diagnoses, um, they may all need it. Elizabeth, thanks for clarifying the difference between general and limited conservatorship. Uh, you mentioned earlier the seven powers. Can you go into some detail on what those are and when it would be appropriate for you know, a child with special needs? Thank you. Uh, yes, um, the seven powers are uh, first to fix the residence, uh, that's decide where a person is going to live. Uh, second, access their confidential records and papers. Third, control whether or not they can marry. marry. Uh, fourth, uh, control, uh, contract on behalf of the child. Uh, fifth, make medical decisions. And uh, six, control the social, sexual contacts and relationships of a person. And the seventh is make ed educational decisions. And so the court also decides uh, separately whether or not the person can retain their right to vote um, in state and federal elections. Um, but the seven powers, what happens with the seven powers in a conservatorship are the court uh, first of all, um, decides this person is incapacitated. So that's the first threshold matter. They decide the person's incapacitated. They can't properly make these decisions um, in their own best interest. So a conservator is necessary. And then as far as the powers, they take those um, seven powers or less than all seven take them away from the conservatee, the person with special needs, and give them to the conservator. So then after the conservatorship is established, um, the person with special needs can't sign a contract. If somebody gets them to sign, you know, sign up for a cell phone, you know, expensive service in the mall, uh, you can nullify that contract. They didn't have the ability to do that. They can't make medical decisions. So if the doctor says you need the surgery and they say, no way, I don't want that, you, know, you can, you know, you can authorize the medical care. Um, you can also uh, go into the IEP meetings and make all educational decisions. Um, so, so relative to all those powers, the conservators, which are usually the parents or other persons, uh, gain those powers, the conservatee loses them. Um, the right to vote, uh, the, the threshold dropped in uh, 2016 is, uh, substantially. So it used to be, could a person understand an affidavit of voter registration? And a lot of kids with special needs really didn't understand that affidavit. So um, so they would all lose their right to vote. But, but, you know, if the parents really wanted them to retain the right to vote and the court's not giving them the right to vote, they're just stating they, you know, stating whether or not they lose it, actually. But um, because we all gain the right to vote on our 18th birthday when we become legal adults. And the, this was a seminal case that was decided in the 1800s. It's not based on our capacity. The smartest person in the country and the most impacted person all gain the right to vote. You know, it's not based on capacity on their 18th birthday. So when the threshold dropped, it became, uh, can the person with reasonable accommodations express a desire to participate in the voting process? And that 
pretty much most people can do that. And so um, some judges are um, um, not likely to take away the right to vote. So, um, but as far as the seven powers, you know, the parents can petition for all the seven powers. Uh, sometimes if a child's higher functioning, they may not want to give up all those seven powers. I mean, they, 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 they feel like they're a young adult. They, they want to start, you know, um, setting out on their own and they don't necessarily want mom and dad telling them what to do at this point. And they're still teenagers with teenage hormones. So um, some of the powers are at least, you know, uh, that some people give up or the ability to fix the residence. Um, well, and that's what I advise. If, if you have to barter a little bit with a child who's high functioning, uh, give up, fix the residence because you can't live anywhere without signing a contract, right? <laughs> Unless you go live at a relative's house. Uh, so that, that one you would still, if you get the right to contract, that would, um, that would take care of that or, or, you know, uh, but anyway, um, the seven powers are important. Um, first and foremost, a conservatorship is a protective proceeding. So the court determines this person needs protecting this person cannot protect themselves from predators. And so they need to have somebody else making these decisions. And so the court realizes that um, the court appoints an attorney to represent the proposed conservatee uh, during the process. And um, because, you know, the parents may or may be represented represented by an attorney, they may represent themselves, but somebody has to represent the child because you really are two different parties, the petitioner and the respondent, right? And so um, the child can't represent themselves. So the court appoints a court appointed attorney who represents them, but it's usually not a contentious relationship. You know, everybody wants what's best for the child and, and um, it's not necessarily contentious. So, and, and just one more thing on the last question, you know, it's it's not appropriate for every child. So if it's not, if conservatorship is not appropriate for your child, you, if you have a child with Asperger's um, and they're going to college, it may not be conservative. Conservatorship may not be appropriate. And in those cases, um, if the child understands the documents, they can sign a durable power of attorney for asset management an advanced healthcare directive and third assignment of educational rights. So you could still share those powers with them, but, but you cannot, you know, obtain all, all the rights and the child lose them without going to court um, because the, a court is the only entity that can take powers away from a person, you know, uh, basic civil rights, but, and also just as a, comforting thing it's it's hard for parents to get like you said to establish conservatorship sometimes um and so um emotionally and and you have to realize that it, it is a protective proceeding but also by no means are you taking all of their civil rights away they still always have the right to be represented by an attorney make their own will lots of other things you know so so you're not taking everything away from them just these things that need to be um um, administered by someone else just to keep them safe. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so needed. And I mean, as we can see, this is a difficult subject, right? And, but it's, it's so needed in certain situations to keep our children slash as they become adults, um, safe, you know, um, you mentioned like the living situation, you know, at times that can keep a child who's more independent from being homeless because they just can't figure those things out. Um, and you know, you know, on and on it goes with the, with the different powers, but you know, so really the next step is just looking at that process for conservatorship. 
Can you kind of go into right. that, what that looks like? Sure. Uh, so the process um, of obtaining conservatorship, it's a forms process and it's a, it's a length. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a thing where it's constantly changing. So um, in order to know how to do this, you have to constantly do it. <laughs> so, uh, because it, the change, the forms are changing the way the court clerks want them, the process, the, the, the way that they are submitted to the court is changing. The judges are changing and it's different judges want things different ways. And so, um, so for my clients, I try to give them as much direction as I can, but I've typed up the whole process for them just relative to what they have to do. And, and, you know, and just so that, you know, that they're clear along the whole path, kind of where we're at and, and what's happening. And then a series of letters that explain, you know, what's happening as well. But, um, but it, um, is basically is all, except for unless there's an issue, it's submitted on forms that are uh, promulgated by the um, uh, judicial council. And um, the court can have local court forms as well. So depending on what county you're in, in California, and I'm only I'm only addressing conservatorship in California, I'm not licensed to uh, practice law in any other state. Um, the um, the process is just to complete the forms correctly and the forms are not lay person friendly. They're not even necessarily attorney friendly. You'd have to constantly reference the probate code to answer the questions and things like that. And most people don't have a copy of the probate code sitting on their shelf. But, um, but anyway, it, um, it, it's, um, it's um, it's just submitting the forms, when to submit the forms, you know, who has to be served, you know, and, and all that, that, you know, that, uh, takes about six months to a year. And so I usually advise people to start the process um, six months beforehand, at least because um, I, I mean, actually I would start eight months beforehand because the, um, the courts, depending on the dockets in the courthouses, it can take you, um, you know, 60 days or more to get a hearing. Um, and you have to give the regional center at least 30 days to receive that petition and complete a written report to the court and the court can't make an order until they get that regional center report. And in your county, they may or may not have court investigation required as well. So that those things by those entities take a while. So if they don't complete that, um, the, um, their investigations and their written reports to the court, then the judge has no choice but to continue your matter and set it for another hearing. But unfortunately, um, you know, your hearing isn't set till next week. It's set for three to six months later. So, you know, that that's why, um, you know, you should you should plan accordingly and start, you know, you know, two to three months after their 18th, I mean, at their 17th birthday so that you make sure you have it in place for their 18th birthday. Um, yeah, so we're listening to you. This is really a pretty darn complicated process to do on their own. So um, seeing that, uh, I suppose that most families would probably take on and, and hire a lawyer. Uh, what would you be looking for in a lawyer as to kind of explain this process and, and um, you know, they'd be comfortable in hiring them to do this for them? I would say that, you know, I did men did not mention that families can do it by themselves. And, and for some reasons, parents have to do it by themselves sometimes. And, and they do have a legal aid uh, group at every courthouse that will help parents. But, um, 
they're usually stretched pretty thin. And um, if you sit through any conservatorship proceedings, you can find the URL online and you can sit through, you know, the Zoom meeting as a, you know, just a, you know, observer and see what conservatorship um, hearings are like. And persons who are not represented by an attorney um, are usually just uh, sent back out. You know, they 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 didn't they have a number of defects. So so if the court sees problems like the person wasn't served, the proof of service wasn't filled out correctly, there's an issue with the form, the court examiner looks at the documents 30 days before the hearing, and then they publish examiner's notes. So if there are any problems, they list that as defects. And every single defect has to be resolved. It's called curing the defect before the judge can make a ruling. And um, I mean, sometimes um, if I sit through hearings, the, the attorney had five defects and they didn't cure the defects before the hearing. So the judge is, you know, continuing it. Um, my goal in every single case is to have zero defects. And I do most of the time, but but here and there something happens or or the, the uh, clerk wants it a different way or something like that. So so then I have to cure that, you know, or maybe something is just not clear, um, like we had you always have to report how long you've known your child, uh, even if you are the parents. Um, but they, um, um, the conservators adopted the child, so they didn't understand why the parents only knew her for 15 and a half years <laughs> as opposed to 17 and a half. So, so you might have to provide clarification or something like that. But, but anyway, um, the, you know, that, parents can do it on their own. They absolutely can. Sometimes they'll tell me uh, they made 14 trips to the courthouse, but if that's what they had to do, they had to do it. But, but the first time I did it and I'm a licensed attorney, it took me nine months to do it. <laughs> and it just is not easy to figure out what, how they want it, you know, at the process or anything else. Um, but the legal aid society does help people and, and we'll, we'll get them through it eventually. <laughs> Good to know there's options. Um, but then, you know, know what the process is that you're getting into. And sometimes there's peace of mind in being able to have legal advice, um, and help with it, but either way there's, a, there's an option. So that's, that's really good. And sorry, back to your question. And I apologize for that. You know, parents have really good gut reactions of just about anybody I know. Uh, and you know, when something's not right and, um, and you know, when something is, <laughs> and, and so they, they usually um, do are able to, um, you know, communicate with other parents. And if they ask other parents, who did you hire for conservatorship? You know, um, you'll usually get a pretty good idea of who's good at it and, and, and who parents liked working with, you know, so, so that's helpful. And, and I, I would say just reach out to other parents because they'll tell you it's a constantly changing thing. So, um, even if somebody, if someone did it 20 years ago, they're not going to know exactly how to do it today. It's, it's, it's a today matter, <laughs> you know, have you used this person and, and how did you feel, you know? So, uh, so that's, that's pretty good. Rely on your friends. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thanks so much for that advice. And just finding a lawyer that could help you, um, you know, what, what, how do you find that, that lawyer and what are you looking for? Um, so, you know, Obviously, we're talking about conservatorships, and there is somebody who needs to be the conservator. And so who can be a conservator, and how many conservators can each person actually have? 
That's a very good question. So um, conservators, um, the number of conservators is is that are allowed is not necessarily defined by the probate code. Um, so what the judges like to see is two to three people max. But I had a case last week where the judge approved five co-conservators. Wow. Everybody in the family wanted to do it. And everybody loves that child so much. No one would give it up. <laughs> and the, the judge approved all five. There are some judges um, in some counties who will not approve four. Um, they just only want three. And then other judges will have no problem um, doing that. But but I just regarding how many people can be named, um, you, you might consider if, you know, if, if it's two parents, a uh, lots of, lots of times the two parents, if they're still married or if they're divorced, will just petition. But if you're a married couple, I mean, you go out on your anniversary, you end up in a car wreck, you know, if something happens to those two parents, then, you know, there's, there's really no one else. Uh, the court becomes the default conservator until someone else petitions and they pay for the whole process and start the whole process all over again. So some parents, if they have another adult child, will uh, name at least one of those other adult children. Uh, but you have to understand that all those rights are severable. So if two parents or three, two parents and, a, and a, another adult child are all named as co-conservators. Each person has all those powers. That's what I mean by severable. So, um, you know, the mom has all seven powers. The dad has all seven powers. The other sibling who's an adult has seven powers too. So, so you don't want to get into a situation where you think someone would exercise the you know, the power, if it's an, an, an aunt of the conservatee or uncle or something like that, if you don't have another adult child. But um, most people who are that third party will not necessarily ever exercise the powers unless, you know, something happens to the parents and then they are acting as the sole conservator. But, um, but you, um, you know, it, it definitely, those, all of those persons have to have, you know, their, uh, their records run the court, you know, the court is pretty careful about who they name. They get interviewed um, by the court investigator. If you have court investigation at appointment and things like that. And um, as far as that uh, goes, I know the your nonprofits in San Diego, but not, but San Diego is the, is the, you know, golden ring on the carousel for, you know, conservatorship, because it is, it's the one County where you can still get all seven powers. Um, I don't practice in LA County, but I, um, but I believe you can up there as well. Um, and the other counties, you can't necessarily get some, some of the other powers. So in San Diego County, you can get all seven powers, uh, secondly, you don't have court investigation at appointment. You have it one year afterwards, but um, court investigation at appointment, you know, it doesn't happen. The court, court appointed attorney kind of, the burden of that kind of falls on the court appointed attorney. So they will call and interview the other family members. And then um, you also don't have to take a conservatorship training class in San Diego County, which you have to take in the other counties. Um, either you used to have to take it in person, but, but uh, now you can take those online. But, um, but anyway, there is one other thing, um, you know, we talked about when we discussed special needs trusts that um, having $2,000 or less in countable resources. 
And, and um, another thing that will help you is um, if your child is the Medi-Cal recipient, you know, because you have the same, you know, you have the regional center waiver, then um, you, uh, your attorney or you, if, if, um, if you um, prepare the forms yourself can apply for fee waivers if your child doesn't have any assets in their name or very little. And so, um, so if you apply for the fee waivers, um, then the judge should grant it, it definitely if they're a Medi-Cal recipient, because they already had to reach that qualify for the means tested public benefits. So then you don't have to pay for your initial filing. You don't have to pay for the court investigation when you're after appointment. And, and that can save you, um, you know, uh, $1,200 just at the, within the first year, but the court investigations go on. Uh, it's one year after appointment. Um, and then every other year for the rest of your child's life. So those, those are probably going to go up to $800 soon. So that's a lot of money over your child's lifetime that you can save. And you may have to renew your fee waiver at some point, but it definitely saves you a lot of money at the establishment. So, uh, it's a good thing to know going in. And that's why, you know, most attorneys will ask you, well, is your child a client of the regional and the regional center first? And then do they receive Medi-Cal? So. Yeah. Really good information to share for sure. And then that renewal of it, if that does come down the line is something that you need to do again with your attorney, or you get a paper in the mail asking you to do it. And the family just directly does that renews it. I'm not sure how they're handling that now. And that's another thing that they've changed, Yeah, but right. it would just probably be resubmitting um, those uh, forms. And so in a, you know, if you set up trust documents, you have to sign in front of a notary and show your identification. That was you that signed that document. But in a um, conservatorship, you don't have any notary fees at all. You sign all those documents under penalty of perjury. So you're stating they don't have any money, but of course you can't foresee the future. They might inherit a hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, so, so that's why you have to renew the forms at some point, you know, because that may change. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, and then talking about conservatorship, there's a, a side question I'm thinking of, which is, um, how does that work together with guardianship of, you know, we talked about special needs trust before, how does that work together with guardianship? If, um, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios that can go on, but you know, how do you see those two working together? If you have someone named as a guardian and then someone else is already their conservator, cause they've turned 18 and maybe that guardianship, um, you know, doesn't kick in or, you know, there's different scenarios. Right. That's a very good question. So um, guardianship is and conservatorship are confusing. It's a confusing topic overall. And I speak at national conferences where I have to make this clear because um, in California, where I practice law, uh, guardianship is of a minor child, um, someone who's under the age of 18, and conservatorship is of an adult, someone who's 18 years old or older. In other states, a conservatorship of an adult is called guardianship. <laughs> they don't call it something different. It's all called guardianship. But until your child turns 18, you can relax. You know, you, you are the legal guardian of your child, of course. And so a nomination of guardian agreement would give someone all powers that you have over your minor child to another person. And parents are the only two people who can do that. So a written nomination of guardian agreement is really essential. It saves a $4,000 guardianship proceeding because this $250 
document, you know, would save, you know, $4,000 proceeding because someone has to have legal rights over the child. So if the parents are both incapacitated or have passed away or some combination thereof, then, then they need a legal guardian. So if they were a minor child, they'd go get guardianship. At 18 years old, if the, any person was under a guardianship, it would automatically, well, the court the court would require the attorneys to do the work to convert it to a conservatorship of an adult. So, uh, so that's a good question. You don't need guardianship once a child turns 18 and, and you need that guardianship for every child, neurotypical and child with special needs. Um, but, but back to the conservatorship, um, you know, it, it will go on the court determines in capacity of the conservatee and the conservatorship will last until either the conservatee gains capacity or passes away. Um, but some like high functioning autism I have known of um, actually were able to terminate their conservatorship based on capacity. They had enough capacity. So the, and the court agreed. So it's not written in stone. If you don't get all seven powers for sure, um, you can revisit that with the court. If those are, um, those are applicable powers that you need later. Also in other counties where you can't get, uh, for example, in, in Orange County, you can't get the right to control marriage or social sexual contacts and relationships. Well, um, unless there's been an incident of abuse, which I don't agree with because the whole, again, threshold matter is it's a protective proceeding. But, but if you have documented incidents of abuse, you can get those two powers. Um, marriage and social, social sexual contacts and relationships without an incident of abuse, which is, of course, we all want there not to be an incident of abuse. You can't get those two powers, but you can always revisit that if something happens. But, it, you know, it's um, not the best topic, but if you do ever have anything happen at the school or on a bus or anything like that, document, 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 just write an email explaining everything that happened as far as you know and send it to the school that's that at a minimum you know so and once you have that even in orange county you can get those two powers but but if the child becomes is higher functioning and, and as a result of you know getting older and his brain is her brain maturing more you know maybe you can give some of the powers back to them or, or whatever or if you didn't get one you can gain it later so it's not it's not ever written in stone that's really good to know mm-hmm so looking at uh, somebody who's been conserved, say in California, or even as you're talking about it, it varies from county to county, and they move out of state, is that conservatorship uh, transferable? That's a very good question. Um, a conservatorship is a state-granted right. So the state of California gives a person uh, civil rights that belong to another person, uh, to that conservator. Um, so if a person should move, um, the, the venue for the conservatorship, that's the courthouse or the county where the courthouse is, is where the child, the, the conservatee lives. So the person with special needs lives in Orange County um, and, and it's permanent. You have to, and you, you know, established it in, 
you know, San, Di San Diego County, you have to transfer venue to Orange County. Uh, I just kind of digress just for a second. You can move anywhere in the state of California if you establish it in California and not have to um, have court approval before you move uh, the child. But to move a child outside the state of California, uh, the conservators need to ask the court if they can move the child or adult. I'm sorry, it would be an adult then. Uh, child would be an adult and then um, have a hearing for that. And then you transfer the venue from California to Texas or Florida and, and that uh, the parents or whoever are the conservators would set it up in that state. And then they, uh, after it was established, then the state of California would release the conservatorship, but, but they won't terminate it until it's established in the other state. But that's happening a lot. A lot of people are moving right now <laughs> and it's a big topic. <laughs> I bet. Well, and is this something where it could be a, a but have a conservatorship in two different states at the same time? No, that's a good question, though. But that is definitely a great question. A person has only one uh, principal residence. And so wherever the child's principal residence is, is where the conservatorship has to be, you know, but sometimes if a child's uh, living in a group home, but you don't know how long it'll be, you don't necessarily have to change venue. You know, if, if um, some, some um, people are um, placed in a group home and then six months later, they're placed in another group home or, or whatever. So until it appears to be permanent, you know, they don't have to do that, but, but you can only have one principal residence and that's where the conservatorship has to be, has to be uh, active. Mm -hmm. Gosh, this is such good information for our families to hear. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Um, you know, we always like to end with this question about what is one thing that you'd like to share with our listeners to help encourage them and bring hope for the road ahead? That I'd like to share that, you know, they really, um, if they look at this as a protective proceeding and then they realize that they're the two people that really know best if this is a conservatorship is right for their child or not. So the parent shouldn't be empowered as far as that's concerned, that, you know, that, that only they can decide, yes, I need to get conservatorship over my child or, or no, we're going to try the powers of attorney and things like that, you know? Um, and sometimes it's a, take the path least restrictive, you know, try the powers and see if that works. And if it doesn't, then maybe seek conservatorship or, or if you absolutely, uh, they cannot manage their own person or, or, and they'd be subject predators that it's, you know, some people can't sleep at night because they know this 18th birthday is looming and they, they get started on the conservatorship. And the other thing is HIPAA is a main driver. So you need to be aware of that, that, you know, when I was growing up, everybody had their own doctor. We had the same doctor doctor for 30 years. And, and when a child, when a family had a child with special needs, that family parents just made all those decisions for the child. But now most doctors work for large corporations and they are, have to be HIPAA compliant. So they literally cannot make you make, cannot allow you to make those medical decisions. And so HIPAA is a main driver in getting conservatorship. And the doctors will tell you that, um, that, you know, they don't know how parents are doing it without HIPAA. Because, I mean, without the conservatorship, because um, HIPAA just will not allow them to make those decisions anymore. So uh, whereas special needs trust, the main driver was a long time ago was to qualify for means tested public, public benefits. Conservatorship was 
you know, to manage the child's, you know, all these uh, seven areas of the child's life. But now the main driver is HIPAA, literally. <laughs> so it's something uh, to nice to be able to understand in a nutshell, like your podcasts are, are striving to do. And hopefully they, they do have a, you know, a, a nutshell understanding of all of this so they can move forward one way or the other. Yeah. And that does bring hope because it, it does bring peace of mind for a lot of our families. So thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing all this information, such a valuable and, you know, from your professional stance to be able to know what are the right decisions to be made for each individual and and what to base that on. So appreciate you coming on today. Okay, thank you both so much. It's been a pleasure. Resources and contact information for today's podcast will be included in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share us with others and be sure to follow us so you won't miss an episode. And we'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment or rating and connect with us on social media or on our website at hopeonthehardroad.org.